This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. Our first reading is from Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 to 44. Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken in two. So, you must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Hear the word of the Lord. Second reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, beginning at the 8th verse. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let's, let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths, a strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I want to begin by asking you this morning, are you ready for the future? Are you ready for the future? Are you future-proof? Now, it's a feature of our times that we are constantly being told that we need not just to be contemporary, modern, and up-to-date, 
but to be ready for what is coming. We're told that the future is already here if it's not just rushing up to meet us. We need to be anticipating the future in the present. And if, as a business or a nation or even as a person, we can't ride the waves of constant innovation and change, then will we survive? Do you remember Blockbuster Video? Do you remember Kodak? Do you remember Toys R Us? Do you remember, now this will test how old you are, do you remember ANSET Airlines and TAA? Who here took a flight on ANSET Airlines? They're all the old people. It fills us with dread to think that we too might be consigned to obsolescence and irrelevance because we're stuck in the past. Today's business pages are peppered with quotes like, if you don't think about the future, you cannot have one, which the novelist John Goldsworthy wrote back in the 1920s, another age that was obsessed with the future. The present-day messiahs of the technological future are billionaires like Elon Musk, the self-appointed prophet of all things future, and popular intellectuals like Yuval Noah Harari, the Israeli historian and public intellectual. Musk even paints himself as a man from the future, a star man fallen to earth who is here to take us all on a journey back to the future and into the universe. He once said when he was asked what drives him, uh, for me it was never about the money but solving problems for the future of humanity. Thank you, Elon, we might say, and I'm sure the money helps. Most of these problems we imagine can be solved by technology, which is our particular obsession, isn't it? Our particular faith is in technological solutions to fix all of humans, humanity's problems. And with technological change, our ethical and existential worlds will be and are supposedly being reinvented. The old measures of meaning and of right and wrong will simply melt away, the great prophets tell us. Yuval Noah Harari even claims that death, will become, death itself will become obsolete in the 21st century. Well, we'll see. Now, compared to the gospel of Elon Musk, the gospel of Jesus Christ looks decidedly old-fashioned, quite daggy. You might say, out of date by centuries. Jesus Christ and his gospel have their origins not in the future, but in the ancient world, and even before that, to before the beginning of time. You could not say that the church despite our live streaming of this service, is on the cutting edge of technological and social innovation. Falling attendances in the Western world are telling us supposedly that religion is fading away, becoming less relevant, less with the times, less progressive. That one day, not far off, this here church, St Mark's, will become a museum or perhaps more likely a fancy restaurant where future generations will come to wonder at the stupidity of us, their ancestors, while they eat their plant-based meats. <laughs> but all is not as it seems. Like Elon Musk, the season of Advent urges us to be ready to face the future. We're not to be stuck in our nostalgia for the past or caught up in the present. It is true that if you don't think about the future, you cannot have one. But the future is not what we imagine it to be. More of that in a moment. 
But what we will see this morning is that Christianity is truly future-oriented and truly progressive because it prepares us not for what we cannot know, but for a future that we can know. Not the future of Elon Musk, but towards the future of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to take you into the text of our passage today from Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. And right into the heart of it, first of all, we're kind of going to plunge into the middle and then uh, work out towards the fringes of that particular text uh, and address in particular Paul's statement about the times in verse 11 and 12. He says there, Do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Understanding the present time, being prepared for the future, is to shape Christian behaviour. But what does he mean? Should we be studying the futurologists, listening to the prognostications of sociologists and economists, attempting to see what history itself means? Well, certainly is a good thing for Christians to be aware of all these things. One of my uh, theological heroes, John Stott, the great preacher, he used to talk about reading the Bible with a newspaper, or understanding the world with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. I think that's right. It helps us to live out our lives as Christian disciples if we know what's happening in our world. It helps us to be astute and wise to understand the times in which we live. But this is not what Paul means here by understanding the present time. What he means is that we should understand the times through the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever we may see around us, Jesus Christ is the Lord of history. He is the ruler of time itself. The future belongs to him. And as we say in the creed, we'll say it a little bit later, he will come again in glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. He indeed is the fixed point to which all history heads, to which all human beings will give account. That means that our salvation grows nearer every day. This present age is passing away and with it, so many of the things that we imagine are permanent and immovable. So many of the forces that we imagine control this planet and give it its flavor at the moment. These will indeed pass away. Yet when Christ comes, the risen Christ, only he will matter. And when he comes, he will shine his great light on everything human. As Paul puts it, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. That's to say, we live in a time when the truth about things is uncertain and, and contested. We live in a time when justice is only ever partially done. People do things to one another under the veil of obscurity, knowing that what they do will likely, or thinking that what they do will likely not be seen. Human justice will not ever bring everything to light, strive though it might. We know this, sadly, from uh, an example like the sexual assault statistics in our nation. A fraction of sexual assaults are ever brought to trial and a fraction of those ever gain a conviction. But the light of God's justice 
will shine into every darkest corner of human existence. You may have had to live with the pain of injustice in your life. A crime against you that no one knows. An exploitation of your kindness. A taking advantage of your innocence. An untrue accusation against you that was believed. A lie or a rumour put about you that you cannot stop or answer. You feel today only too keenly that the innocent are not vindicated in the courts of human justice and the wicked go unpunished. You may be crying out like the psalmist, why God do the evil go unpunished and the innocent seem unvindicated in your world? But understand the nature of our times. Jesus, who rose from the dead, is coming back to shine his light, to expose all things, to bring them to light. His dawn is bursting forth over the horizon. All will be exposed for what it is. And in that we have marvelous comfort. But just as it should comfort us, it also should motivate us to put aside the deeds of darkness, as Paul says, and put on the armor of light. To get ready for the coming of the day, we should get dressed in the clothes of the day. We've all been uh, basically getting ready for the day these last two or three years by wearing our slippers and pajamas, right? You know, you might have gone on a Zoom and put your tie on or your work clothes above and had, you know, your tracksuit pants and uh, your thongs underneath. We've become used to that. But yet, says Paul, no, no, there are appropriate clothes for this new age, for this day that's dawning. Take off the old clothes and put these on. And in particular, Paul wants us to put on the armour of light, a special suit of clothes indeed. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word armour here. Of course, armour is protective and it also identifies you. Have you ever been to the Tower of London? If you've been to the Tower of London, you know, you get sick of how much armour there is there. There's a lot of armour, but there's one suit of armour that really stands out. It's unforgettable. And that suit of armour belonged to... Henry VIII, everyone knows this, right? And you know that it belonged to Henry VIII because it's huge. Because he, you can, it's amazing to come face to face with the size of the man. You get an impression of just what a powerful person he was. And the armour kind of magnifies that. You, it's unmistakable. It could belong to no one else. No ordinary person could wear the king's armour. Now, what is the armour of light, the suit of armour that we are supposed to put on? We get more of a clue from what Paul says. We get more of a clue of what, about what it is from what Paul says in verse 14. He says there, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. The armour of light, the clothes that prepare us for the coming of the day, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's the Lord Jesus who, like armour, protects us and identifies us. We live in his skin, you might say. We live under his protection. What this means is that we prepare for the future. We future-proof ourselves by trusting ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and by imitating him. We wear this king's armor. He protects us and we do the things that belong to him. We are to be dressed in Jesus Christ and dressed in him we will be truly future-proof.
You know, what kind of things does this mean we do and do not do? Well, first of all, the things we are called to do, the things that match this suit of armour, the armour of light. What is it like to live in the light of the day of the Lord Jesus, the day that is surely coming? To truly anticipate the future, to be living in the future, as it were, in the present, to live a truly progressive life. Well, Paul says, behave decently, as in the daytime, which is to say, live knowing that what you do is not ever a secret to God. Live so that, as if what you do will one day be disclosed. Whatever you do will one day be out in the open. You cannot now live as if a veil of darkness will hide you forever. But this is where verses 8 to 10 come in. Because Paul links the two sections, doesn't he? You see that in verse 11. He says, we should do verses 8 to 10 because of the present time. It's not just kind of love everyone because that just works. That's just what you should do. It's love because the times demand it. We live in the times in which that's the, that's the way to prepare for the future. That is, wear the armour of light and love your neighbour. Get with the times by loving. Paul here repeats the teaching of Jesus that the essence of the law of God is to love. All the particulars of the law, all the individual laws can be summed up in the command to love, to love one another and to love our neighbour. What does God want of you and me? What does it look like to be ready for the future? We should love. Love is more futuristic than any spacesuit. And love is what we owe another person. I, I'm really struck by that first sentence where he says, don't be in debt to anyone else, right? Pay off your financial debts. Pay off your other debts. Make sure that you're not indebted to people. But you can never pay off the debt to, that you owe to another person to love them. This is always outstanding. Now, it's easy to be woolly about this command, romantic and sentimental about it, isn't it? Except when it comes down to it. It's easy to love the neighbour who is nice. It's easy to love the neighbour who mows your lawn as well as their own, right? The, the neighbour who is sweetness itself and looks after the street and to, you know, with whom you never have a disagreement. It's easy to love them. But what about when it's more complicated than that? I've sat with people going through the torture of a divorce or in the throes of a workplace dispute or in the midst of a family breakdown in which there's been terrible behaviour by people towards one another. It changes your frame of reference in those situations if you ask, what do I owe this person? Well, I owe it to them to love them even in my anger against them. That does not mean being a doormat, by the way. That does not mean giving them what they want. In fact, it may be completely unloving to give them what they want. It's not doing harm to your neighbour to prevent them from abusing you. But as Paul says in Romans 12, render to no one evil for evil. 
Is that a situation that you find yourself in at the moment? Can you think of a situation in which it is really difficult at the moment to love? How would it change your frame of reference to think, now I owe this person, this difficult person in my life, I owe them love. I need to ask what it is to love them. What is the most loving thing to do, to do for them at this point? Now that is truly futuristic behaviour. That's more futuristic than hoverboards. But when we do this, we align with the one to whom the future belongs, Jesus Christ. We may not follow the Messiah, Elon Musk, but he does not own the future in any case. It's a way of life that's radically unlike the way of the world that is passing away, the way of Jesus Christ, the way of love. What is that world that's passing away? Well, Paul talks about the desires of the flesh down in verse 14, doesn't he? He doesn't just mean they're the appetites of our bodies, but a whole orientation of ourselves without Christ to, to the world that is here and now. When we do not believe that Christ's future is coming, then our desire is, our temptation surely is to grab what we can while we can, to squeeze as much power and pleasure out of the world as we can before we die. You can see what this looks like in verse 13. Carousing and drunkenness, which is a way of just making sure we forget what the time is. Forget, our, forget what's going to happen. A way of forgetting the future. It's our forgettery, isn't it? Sexual immorality, using the bodies of others for our pleasure. Dissension and jealousy. Eat, drink and be merry, is that philosophy, for tomorrow we die. Why not simply give ourselves over to the moment, after all, if the moment is all we have? Life is short, so just do it and hang the consequences. Now, this approach, we don't have to look very far to see it, do we? We live in the midst of it. This is what our area of Sydney is all about. Without fear of God, without an understanding of Jesus Christ is our future. All that is left is to score as much pleasure and power as possible. The secret stabbings in the back. The fanning into flame of conflict. The smiling nastiness. The dissembling and dishonesty. The sneaky briefing of the press against your opponents. The anonymous smackdown online, on Twitter or whatever it is. The way in which a veil of virtue is used in the course of doing evil. The normalizing of debauched behavior. The sanctification of lust itself. The call of the flesh is very strong. That is the world of darkness. The night that is passing away. But that's not to be true of us. After all... What a terrible way that is to live. It's, it's truly got no future. These behaviours as well are not loving. But they sometimes use the name of love. They are not loving. They mirror the commandments that Paul has remembered back up in verse 9. They belong to the past, not to the future that is coming. And though they are done in the night time, they will be exposed by the light of the day of Jesus Christ. All will be revealed. That's the future. And so, 
It's time for you and me to wake up and become future-proof. Business leaders define future-proofing as uh, the process of anticipating the future and developing methods of minimizing the effects of shocks and stresses of future events. What times are these? What future events and shocks and stresses are we preparing for ourselves for? Advent reminds us that Christ is coming, that his light is dawning, and that that light will expose everything. That's the shock and stress we're preparing for. And yet Advent reminds us that these are also times of hope and expectation. For in Christ, our salvation is just round the corner. The future belongs to our Savior, Jesus Christ. However dark the night, however deep the evil, the dawn of Jesus Christ is breaking in. The reality of the risen Lord is closer than you could ever imagine. And so you and I need to be future-proof for him. We need to be acting in line with the future that will certainly come to dress ourselves in the works of love, in the armor of light, casting on the works of darkness, which do not protect us not one bit. By all means... Prepare for technological and economic and environmental change. And perhaps I've been too harsh on poor Elon today. Perhaps he's got some great things to offer us. But technology and its messiahs offer us a perfect world that they cannot deliver. In fact, we all know, we know too well that those who dream the most are capable of creating the biggest nightmares. We know that science and technology make new problems as fast as they fix the old ones. Elon Musk is a remarkable human being, but he and others like him are no messiahs. The unfashionable Jesus, on the other hand, is the Lord who calls us to love. Radical, futuristic behavior. Advent is a time for us to remember to get ready for him. The great poet and preacher John Donne once wrote, The church prepares our devotion before Christmas Day with four Sundays in Advent, which bring Christ nearer and nearer to us and remind us that he is coming to enable us by a further examination of ourselves to depart in peace because our eyes have seen his salvation. In other words, Advent challenges us to have a good look at ourselves. To have a look in the spiritual mirror, as it were, and ask, do I hope in this Lord? Am I ready for his future? Am I dressed for him? Am I clothed in the armor of light? Or am I rather creeping around like a cockroach in the darkness, doing the things I don't want him to see, doing whatever my flesh tells me to do? Am I clothed in his righteousness? ready for the day, seeking to practice works of love, especially when it's most challenging. And so today I want to challenge you to be truly seeking to love your neighbor. Where is that challenge for you at the moment? Is it that underperforming work colleague, the family member who's behaved so badly, the person in your neighborhood who has built that monstrosity next door. Let's not forget that we need God's grace. In fact, it is by God's grace 
that we will be ready for the future of Jesus Christ. And so we should pray for it, which the words of today's collect help us to do. So I invite you to pray it again, the words of the collect. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armour of light, now in the time of this life, in which your Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us with great humility, so that glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead, we may rise to the life Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.